It's that time of the week again. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop! It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris as they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. As well as the music of today. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Digital Kill the Radio Star starts right now. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. This is David, as always. I'm here with my buddy Chris, and uh, we are back. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, Chris and I have had... uh, busy things going on but uh we are glad to be back and uh doing a podcast with you as always i do want to ask you before we get started to follow us on twitter at digital killed like our facebook page digital kill the radio star podcast and follow us on instagram at digital kill the radio star podcast and if you could leave us a review on itunes or uh, facebook we'd gladly appreciate that uh screenshot it send it to us and we'll put a little something in the mail for you to thank you for your efforts well, Chris, it's been a while since you and I have talked, either on the podcast or even over the phone. How are you? Man, I've been pretty good. Just uh, guess life has helped me, kept me from doing this for for a minute. But uh, I'm back. How are you doing? Uh, I'm well. Um, yeah, it's a, kind of a busy time of the year with you know the spring and good weather. But uh, the last I don't know about two weeks, I feel like. We're headed for Noah's Ark, where we live. It has just rained and rained and rained and rained and has not stopped. Same here. Uh, yeah, it's, very, been, it's been pretty rough around here, too. Very frustrating. Well, um, so this episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, this one's going to be about punk music, which is uh, something Chris is really uh, into a lot more than me, and I've tried to get into it, and I'm trying. I'll admit I'm trying. So uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But um, Chris, last Thursday night, uh, my buddy Kyle, who's done the podcast with me a few times, he and I went down to New Orleans to see the Winery Dogs uh, at um, the House of Blues in New Orleans. It's my third show at the House of Blues. It's the most people I've ever seen there for a show, uh, which I was really kind of curious as to what the crowd was going to be. But I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I've seen everybody. I don't know if I've ever seen a, just a collection of actual talent on stage that can that can touch what I saw that night. Yeah, I mean, I don't doubt that. I mean, those are because you've got really three. I mean, each guy is one of the best at their at their instrument. I mean, they really are. They're each one of the best at the in the game. At least at least in rock music, they're you know, they're three of the best. Do what they do, and then. You know, Kotzen is, he's got a great voice as well. You know, a lot of guys that can play, you know, the vocals, they ain't so good. Just go go listen to Steve Vai sing a tune. Or Joe Satriani. 
Yes, not pretty. I'll take Satriani over Spy any day. Well, it was it was really interesting because we were pretty close, uh, we, and we were in front of Kotzen. And you're watching the show, and you're like, all right, I'm going to watch Kotzen this song. This is going to be a, show, a song that Kotzen shows out. And then Billy Sheehan starts, like, two-hand tapping with the bass. And you're like, all right, I'm going to watch him on the bass. And then you're going to watch Portnoy. And it's funny watching Portnoy because uh, not that this music that he's playing in the Winery Dogs isn't, uh, complex at times, but it is dumbed down from Dream Theater, and it's so interesting to see him play this kind of music and, and kind of you know what he can do with it. And he was just having a blast, but it was a lot of fun. And um, they did uh, the Elvin Bishop song "Fool Around and Fell in Love" as part of the encore. Codson uh, played a Stratocaster for the for like the first half of the show, which I thought he was pretty much exclusively a Telecaster guy. But uh, uh, still no pick, which is just amazing. And it's really interesting. You know, when he's on stage, especially with the winery dogs, he's a rock star. He, he, he checks all the boxes. And um, we met him after the show, he and Portnoy. And he was just this shy, reserved. He wasn't rude, but just you could tell, like, I just want to get on the bus and go to sleep, you know? Um, but, uh, very very good concert if you get a chance to go see them go i highly recommend it um you're not going to uh you're not going to be disappointed so chris that's that's who i've seen recently you've caught a couple of shows since the last time we've talked yeah it probably has been a couple the, the only thing i can really think of off the top of my head was uh i saw for the first uh, i went to anybody i mean people that don't know us whatever they if you have if you just listen to us sparingly you may or may not know that i do live in memphis tennessee and uh graceland has you know home of elvis they have done a lot of work to it in the last couple years and they now have a theater there for um for music for 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 music acts and i think they started it out in january this year was when they first did it and they're surprisingly getting very i mean very pretty decent you know bands and solo artists to play and cool thing is they're only doing it as far as i don't think i've seen a show outside of a thursday friday saturday and um you know several have played like in many like for example coming up thursday is uh the violent films and x and you know, Striper will be there in the summer. So it's very diverse. Brian sets of orchestra is playing. So diverse set of, of artists. And so I went to see uh, Frank Turner. Frank Turner was the headliner, but it was Frank Turner, Murdered by Death, and Tim Barry. And as far as the theater, somebody asked, or the, the venue, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's standing room only. Somebody asked me what I thought of it. And I was like, you know, it, it reminds me of something you'd see in, in Disneyland. It, there just wasn't anything to it. No, no kind of, no real atmosphere to it. Um, and of course, beer selection was awful. So that that's a big no-no for me. But uh, it just, I don't know. Venue wasn't great, but the the show was really cool. It was my first time seeing both both uh, Frank Turner and Tim Barry, and I'd wanted to see Tim Barry a very long time. You know, Tim Barry, since we are talking punk um, in a few minutes. Tim Barry comes from a great punk, uh, borderline hardcore band called Avail. And he's done what so many of them do now. He uh, he just plays Avail shows every now and then, but 
for the most part, he's just playing acoustic, and he doesn't even bring a band with him. It's just him and an acoustic, does the singer-songwriter, and he's, I'd say, kind of in the style of a Chuck Reagan. But he was great. Murder by Death, this was my fourth time to see him, I think. I just I really like that band, and I love seeing him live. And then Frank Turner is uh, Frank Turner's another one of these guys that comes from the post-punk background. He, uh, if you're if you're unfamiliar, he's a. I want to say he's British, but now I'm thinking about it, he could be Scottish. I think he's British though, and uh, I think he's yeah he's British. But he's he's one of these guys that you know if you anybody is familiar with uh, speaking of Chuck Reagan the the revival tour that he he hasn't done that in years, but he used to take out all these guys that were kind of in the same vein, came from these punk backgrounds that did the singer songwriter. And always, so a lot of times I refer to these guys as as uh, revival tour guys. You have Tim Barry toured with them, Brian Fallon, uh, Dan Andriano of Alkaline Trio, um, Dave Hawes, and Frank Turner has as well. So he plays. Uh, he's one of you know. It's funny when you see they, the thing about uh, Frank Turner is so so many um, so many of these British singers, you barely detect an accent. But it's very, very heavy with him, which I think is really gives it a really cool sound. Heavy, heavy British accent. Uh, but I would just say, if you, if you haven't heard him, check him out. He's a singer-songwriter. You can definitely hear the hints of a punk influence, but it, it's certainly not punk. And if you if you like stuff in the vein of Dave Hawes, um, Brian Fallon, Gaslight Anthem, he might be for you. How many people were there? Not many. Um yeah, probably no more than a couple hundred, if that. You know, it, it was it was not much, and it, and I think there. You know, I wondered how much of it was. The, I just think it was it wasn't the right venue for him. I, in Memphis, I was kind of surprised we got him as a headlining act playing Graceland, because I just didn't think anybody in Memphis would know who he was, and just about everybody that was there, they were there to see him. And you could tell some people traveled in for it because I saw some people walking across the street to going back to uh, Graceland Guest House, and they had uh, Frank Turner shirts on. But because you know he doesn't play around this area very much. But if you look the guy up on YouTube, watch him playing his watch him playing in any place in England. And you know, I would say if I'm putting it in perspective, if he were playing in in if he were playing in England. He would absolutely, in a second, sell out something like the Orpheum. Um, probably, big, probably much bigger than that. Actually, he's got a really big following over there, and I think he does pretty well in the states. But you know, Memphis doesn't always support music the best, so it, it was it was a smaller crowd. But man, he, I give him credit. He played like he was playing to a thousand, and if you really want to give the guy a lot of credit for the, his performance. The night before, and I remember texting with my buddy saying, I wonder if the show's going to happen. Um, I remember texting with him Saturday morning saying, I wonder if the show's going to happen. Because Friday, there was a, he uh, jumped into the crowd, and they dropped him, and he fell on his back. And he posted on social media, he posted a picture of himself in an ambulance. And you know, he ended up tweeting later on, he said, the show must go on. And he played, and he had to have been in a ton of pain. But yeah, I mean, got he he took an ambulance ride to the emergency room, and next night playing a show in Memphis. 
Do you think one of the selling points to getting those people is you're going to be playing at Graceland? Yeah, I do. Because I think, I can't remember who, but of those three that I named, I'm almost positive Tim Barry posted about how amazing it was to be playing at Graceland. And, you know, you think about Tim Barry. Somebody, let's say somebody at Tim Barry. Let's use him as an example. They, they probably paid him very little. But he at least, I'm sure, had his flight taken care of. I mean, he doesn't have overhead. He just had his acoustic guitar. So he didn't have overhead. Probably didn't make hardly anything. But he probably thought, you know what? <laughs> it's, it's almost like a free trip. I'll make a few dollars, and I'll go tour Graceland. You know, so I think it's kind of one of those things. But, uh, it, and somebody like Frank Turner, uh, although I, I thought, you know, I was like, wow, this may be, maybe this is his first time here. Now, he said, he said, he played Memphis before in 2010, and little did I know, I had seen Frank Turner before because he was opening up for Flogging Molly, and I was at that show. Interesting. I just don't remember him. Yeah, because I really wasn't. I didn't get super into the stuff like, you know, like Chuck Reagan and all until I, I, I don't remember the year, but it was. It wasn't that much longer after that, but. I wasn't into all that stuff just yet with those kind of guys. So I didn't know who he was. So who else have you seen? That's all I can think of right now. I don't, like I said, there may have been something else, but that's really the only thing I can think of at the moment. Um, yeah, that's it. Because the annual Lucero show, I don't think we talked to them. The annual Lucero spring show that they do, the Lucero family picnic, to say it was raining is an understatement. It never stopped the entire day. And we ended up just, we were in we were in a bar nearby hoping it would clear up, and it didn't. So we ended up taking an Uber, going somewhere else. And they ended up pulling the show indoors probably around 7 or so well, at this point. I mean, we'd been drinking for several hours, and we were convinced the show wouldn't happen, and we'd all headed home. And it, they ended up moving it inside. So that was kind of a buzzkill. But no, I didn't make it to that. Yeah, I did see a thing where Charlie Starr of um, the Blackberry Smoke came out and just played acoustically for a little bit. Said he felt bad that people came to see him and they weren't going to be able to play. So um, uh, okay, so they weren't able to play. I guess that so they weren't even having anything outside. I guess I, I don't know. I just saw a thing where he came. It was clearly indoors, and he was just him on an acoustic guitar. And I guess he played a few songs. <laughs> Man, that's terrible. I mean, that, it's rained the past several years at that show, but. The year I went with you, it was like 50 degrees and raining. Yeah, but at least that you could manage because it was a it was a light sprinkle. But this was downpours the entire day. Oh, yeah. It was, it, yeah, because I was recording a podcast that very night, and we didn't know if we were going to be able to record it or not because there were like two tornadoes on the ground around us. Yeah, yeah was, there were a lot of – it was storming. It was, it, was, it was bad. It was real bad. But no, that's, that's it. Um, you know, and then – as far as, um, you know, they did announce, since we are talking shows, I haven't, I didn't make the Chicago show, but I do want to see, and I'm sure I'm going to eventually see, you know, the Misfits with Glenn on vocals, because it seems like they're starting to do those shows a little bit more frequently now. They announced, I don't know if you saw this, but they announced two more today. They, you know, they've got the one in, coming up in L.A., and then, and... It seems like that may be in June. Maybe. I can't remember. But they announced a show in in Denver and in Seattle. 
and the Denver one is outside, and it's in September. And I feel like, man, that's got to be great weather. And it's it's the Misfits, the Distillers, which is a great female-fronted punk band, the Damned, and the Cro-Mags. Man, that, that would be killer. So I may have to check that one out. Do you um, think they're sellouts for doing this? No. Because, I mean, it, no, I don't think they're sellouts. I mean, it, if you want to call them, call people a sellout, and I don't have a, necessarily have a problem with fans doing this, but a sellout is going to be, you know, you go ahead and have your song used in a, in a TV commercial. You know, different things like that. But just for going and playing shows, no. I mean, they can't help that, which I'm sure they love it, but it's not like they wrote songs to try to get popular on radio. You know, suddenly they're playing the same songs they played in the late 70s and early 80s. You know, it's just now they've just grown over time. And um, got something kind of to that point I'll talk about here in a minute. But, no, I don't think it's a sellout. I mean, it – and, I mean, you think, too, I mean, it, I don't blame, especially people like you – know, Jerry only probably does okay with just with the merchandising alone, you know, because it's – they're – Misfits, they, there's so many mis- so much Misfits merchandise and people that have never even heard a Misfits song are wearing Misfits t-shirts, which is highly annoying. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, he, I don't think he's making a killing. And then you take a look at Doyle, he's probably not making much. I mean, they, these are probably nice little paydays. And Glenn's the only one of those those guys that ever made a bunch of money. If Glenn, I mean, if Glenn's smart, Glenn doesn't need the money. But the other, the other guys, I bet they could use it. All right, whenever I ask you this question, I never know what I'm going to get. What have you been listening to lately? Um, well, it's probably going to go a little bit more on the strange this time. Um, probably, well, see, I've already talked about this band before, one of them that I've been listening to a lot. And I actually texted you today saying you need to give it a chance, but... I talked about, you know, it's probably been a couple of months ago, I talked about Panopticon, which is um, it's some guy out of Kentucky that does, he does most, I think he does make, does all the albums himself, all the instrumentation, which is really impressive because there's some really good musicianship on it. But it, he does black metal mixed with bluegrass and folk. There's, he uses those, that kind of instrumentation in his black metal, and it actually comes off of a crazy cool sound. But he did an album, whereas a lot of times he mixes in like a little folk song on his albums. He did an album uh, a year or so ago. He released two the same day, and there are scars of there are scars of man on the once nameless wilderness, parts one and part two. Part two is a, it's just a dark, dreary. <laughs> hopeless, depressing folk bluegrass record. And it's like I told you, David, man, I thought, it's like Uncle Tupelo, you know, March, March 19, I mean, sorry, March 16, 20, it almost sounds like a happy record <laughs> compared to this. Um, but I just think it's brilliant. And I just, I, 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 that album, it just gets better to me every single listen. And it's, it's really rising up there. It's one of my favorites that's been done in the last couple of years. I know that sounds crazy, but I find myself 
you know how much you love an album by how much you listen to it. And it's one of my more frequent, frequently listened to. And only new material, a new album, I'm listening to the new Amon Amarth. You know, we've talked about them before on here. And sure, if you're listening to this, you're a, a music dork like we are, so you probably know who Amon Amarth is. But if you do not, they are a, they are a death metal band that focuses on Viking imagery, Viking lyricism, and it's just super, super, super melodic. It's heavy, but it's super melodic, and it makes you feel like you're rowing on a on a old Viking boat, going to to fight the French or the British. Um, yeah, very, very cool stuff. Great, great album. The album's called Berserker. Um, I love I love all their albums. Well, early stuff wasn't as good, but this one is. Uh, it's really, really good. Same, same songs as usual. Same type. Um, nothing new on this. But if you're not familiar with the Monomar, and I've somehow piqued your interest, I, I don't know that I pique a lot of people's interest when I say death metal with um, Viking imagery. But uh, if I did, check out the new album Berserker. Check out the song Crack the Sky. Crack the Sky, Shield Wall, Raven's Flight. It's a really, really good album. Never cease to amaze me. Yeah, what about you? Well, I've been listening to a ton of The Cure lately. Um, I watched the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and which I watch every year and I always enjoy it, regardless of who goes in. And The Cure got up and played, and they started with a song called Shake Dog Shake. And I don't know what happened, but just a light bulb went on in my head. Um, I was like, this is really, really good. And so I've gone out and bought uh, the head on the door. Is it head head on the door? Is that the name of it? Um, the head on the door. The head on the door. Disintegration and kiss me, kiss me, kiss me. Uh, and the next one I have lined up to buy is the remix album Mixed Up uh, that came out I think in like 1990. And um, I have just really enjoyed it. The uh, head on the door. There, I think out of like. The ten songs, there's six that I really, really like, and then um, I actually haven't "Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me." I have haven't actually opened it up yet. It's laying over here, and then um, I'm listening to uh, "Disintegration," and um, um, I, I'm really enjoying it. It's um, the music is heavier than I thought it was going to be. To be completely honest with you, especially like that song "Shake Dog Shake," and then the song "Never Enough." Um, it's a little heavier than I thought. I, I thought it was going to be a whole lot more like Joy Division and stuff like that. Bobby. But yeah, but really, it's I mean, some of the stuff, some of the songs are you know guitar driven and and, and pretty heavy. And um, I, I actually have pretty good guitar work. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you need to go watch the uh, Hall of Fame, their performance, it's really impressive. Uh, I mean, it just made me a fan. So I've got those three albums, and then. Um, at some point, I'll buy mixed up and just kind of working my way around. Yeah, uh, mixed up might be a little bit of a of a leap for you. Um, there's, there's some cool stuff on it, but I would everything I would probably... I've listened to off of it on Spotify, I've actually really liked. Okay, okay, because I'll say next the next one off of off what you based off what you bought, I would probably I'd say the next must have. I mean, you've got the like the real essentials, and then I would say add pornography into that. Yeah, that's one um, of the earlier ones, right? 
It is, but it's more of the, it doesn't sound like disintegration. Don't get me wrong, but it's more in the mold of like a, a disintegration type. Um, yeah, it's that kind of more, it's more of that real gothy type sound like that. You know, like, like the, the head on the door is just the essential happy, sad sound of the cure. And I told you when you were starting to get into them, when you're asking me what, what I thought and where, where should you start? And I said, it's funny because the head on the door, if you go by what I listen to, then I'd say the head on the door is, it must be my favorite. But I think disintegration is just a masterpiece. that's that once in a career type album. And I do think it's their best original. Just, I think it's a brilliant piece of work and it's got to be their best, but I don't just drive around wanting to listen to disintegration. It's, it's a downer. It's super, super long, but the head on the door, just the opposite can put you in a happy mood. I mean, listen to songs like push. I mean, that's a really happy sounding song. And I just, those, that album is the one I find myself going to the most, but those are my two favorite for sure. And I listen to the head on the door way more. Well, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I really am. I'm taking it slow on them, trying not to, um, you know, jump too far ahead and familiarize myself with every album before I go forward. And then the other album I've been listening to, and I can't believe in 2019, I'm going to make this statement because it, it blows my mind. White snake has put out, an amazing album. Now, I to say I'm a White Snake fan was is you know probably if you put a gun to my head, I could name twelve to fifteen songs by White Snake, and you know all of their kind of big albums. Uh, there's two or three songs on there I really like, but like I, I I mean just passive at best, and it's really it's not much more than the hits. Um. But they, yeah, they're a greatest hits band for me. Yeah, but so they put out a single. Um, it's called "Hey You, You Make Me Rock." Um, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> man, I listened to it, and it's just, it's just big bombastic. It was, the production on it is stellar. Um, they're singing in a register that I think David Coverdale's voice is much more is much suited for, uh, and so it came out. Friday, I was actually driving back from New Orleans uh, in a what uh, seemed like a Category Five hurricane. It was raining so hard, and uh, I put that on and I listened to it almost all the way, which is about a three-hour drive for me. And um, there's not a skippable song on there. There's one that eh, I could do without technically, but even it is not that bad. But I cannot believe that White Snake in 2019 has put out an album this good and. I was telling you, I was, I was texting our mutual friend, Caton, and texting him, I said, this may be the best album from a band from that g- genre in the last 10 years. And he responded, he said, you're, it's like you're reading my mind. He said, I agree, it's either that or L.A. Guns, The Missing Piece. And, um, man, just kudos to David Coverdale for putting that out. And, of course, he's got Reb Beach and uh, T- uh, Joel Hoekstra on guitar and uh, Tommy Aldridge on drums. I forget who it is that plays bass. but all every- Isn't it Mike Mendoza? I, I don't think so, uh, but I, I'd have to check and see. But, you know, he, he never has slouches playing with him. Well, I think that I, – I think I think David Coverdell, I would say, 
is right there with David Lee Roth as having the best guitarist in the history of rock. And think about that for a minute. You may think, well, that's a crazy, bold statement. But think about it. David Lee Roth, Eddie Van Halen, Steve Vai, Jason Becker. John Five. John Five. I mean, there's, there's you just went four. So you go over to um, Coverdale, Steve Vai, John Sykes, Red Beach, Doug Aldrich, Joel Holkstra, and I know I'm probably missing others. He played with Richie Blackmore for three albums. There you exactly. So I'm I'm missing a huge one, but there you go. I mean, I, I don't know that there's ever been guys that are a better at picking them, and b you know an ability to attract them to their band. Now I guess you got to throw Ozzy in there too, but I, I still and Steve Hines worked with Ozzy as well. But um, I'd say that those three, I mean, they put the best players. But, you know, I listen to some of this, and I told, like I just said, I'm a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a greatest hits White Snake guy. And I can't say that I'm a, not an album. I can't say I'm, an, I don't, I'm not an album guy because I don't like them. I don't, I just never really listen to White Snake albums because they never just, they never really grabbed me, but I never ever disliked Whitesnake, ever so it's just one that i guess i guess you'd say i could take or leave but i but i'm gonna check out the album for sure i listened to probably about the first four songs maybe and saying it's up there with the missing piece from la guns because i would agree that that's definitely one of the best that's been put out from that that genre for sure there's a song in there you need to listen to called Always and Forever. It's got a Thin Lizzy vibe to it. Okay. Uh, with like the dual guitar, you know, dual guitar yeah. so playing lead throughout the whole thing. The lyrics aren't Thin Lizzy-like, but the, the playing on it is. Um, Chris, do you know who Steve Lukather is? I've heard that name. All right, so I can't tell you who he is. But all right, I know the name. so he's, I mean, he's most famous for being the guitar player and I think principal songwriter in the band Toto. But I think he's played on something like 2,000 albums. I think he's considered like maybe the best session musician of all time. And he's played with everybody. I mean, you know, and he, he shows up and stuff with Slash and then, you know, just every genre of music. I was reading an article today where he was talking about the music business and how bad it is and how little you get paid from, you know, iTunes and streaming. And he was talking about how, you know, used to when an album came out, you spent time with it you know now you just click through the first couple of songs if you don't like it you know you're you're done with it you know and even if it's a you know a, a album from one of your favorite bands and uh it was really interesting uh to hear his take on it because obviously he's a career musician and he was just saying there's just it's way too easy to make an album now uh he said there's just too much out there so uh curious kind of as to your thoughts on that Okay, well, as far as the too much out there, I, I can't get behind that because it's there's never too much. I mean, if you don't like it, don't listen to it. Um, now, maybe he's thinking, well, there's not en- enough time to put, you know, to really live with an album and fall in love with it. Okay, maybe, maybe so. But 
you know, I I don't know. It's like it is so much more accessible now. And I, I think anytime I want to listen to an album, I just go on. I know you do Spotify, I do Apple Music, and anytime I want to listen to it, I'll just put it on. That easy. And I will say I do miss, you know, the fact that you always had to you had to wait until that album was released, and then you spent, you know, your at the time, think about when we were buying CDs, they were 15 bucks. Now they're, you know, 8 to 10. But they're 15 bucks back in, in uh, the early 90s. And so, you know, we're kids. We're not making a lot of money. We don't have much money. We have, what you know, our little odd summer jobs and what our parents will give us. So you spend 15 bucks with an album, you know, an album, you're going you're gonna to spend some time with it and hope you start to like it. Right. Now, I will say, yeah, you start to listen to something and you get three or four cuts in and you don't like it, you're probably moving on. So there is, I do miss that part of what we grew up with that the kids don't have now. I do miss that. Um, that'll never come back. I know certain people, you've gotten into certain people like the going and collecting vinyl, and I, and, and I appreciate treating that as a hobby, but it's still, it's not something you have to do. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a choice, and you can listen to the whole album before you go and decide to buy it. That, that record, you know, on Record Store Day. You can listen to it. Um, but the one thing is we think about how the music industry has evolved. You know, I've thought about this a lot. And I think about how for the upper echelon, you know, when you think about the big money makers today, the, um, the Taylor Swift, um, and I can't think about a lot of people because I don't listen to pop music, so I'm going to struggle with what the kids are listening to, to, to today, but Taylor Swift, um, Bruno Mars, yeah, let's just go with the, the rock people like the Foo Fighters and even still um, Metallica, bands like that. Okay, here's my stance. They can't make what they did in 1996. I get that. They're not going to make near the money, and the money that they do make is largely going to come off of, off of touring maybe getting their music on commercials. That's where the, that's where the money's coming from because, you know, Metallica, like I remember they had worked out a deal with their label to where they got a dollar an album. And when you're selling, you know, five to 10 million copies, okay, you just made a lot of dough, but typically you had to, the, what, what the rule that I'd always heard, you had to sell about 200,000 copies to make any kind of money. And even then, you're not making a killing. But So you had to sell a lot. And now your big artists are selling 200000 So that part, they're not really, the career's not what it was. But then I think about the other side of the, of the equation. I think about the, the bands that, that are never going to get on radio. Some of it is by choice because they don't play the kind of music to get on. But... They're never going to get discovered. They're, ne they're never going to be on, you know, back in, in the days of like TRL Live. They're not going to have that. And so you think, how did, it, how did the bands get discovered in 96 or whatever? How did, how did they make any kind of career out of it? And I feel like now the way that the – I feel like the way it's set up now is a band can go out and they can get, they can get discovered now. Through, through internet, through the internet, through 
through word of mouth, through stuff you see. You know, if you like this, you may like that. You know, on whatever streaming source you have, or looking at on, on Amazon or anything. And I feel like music now. I feel like bands benefit so much from that to where a band would have just fizzled out if they didn't sell at least a hundred thousand copies of that debut. They would just fizzled out. Now they're able to have longevity, and they're able to build a name. And they're able to have time, and they progress. And I feel like there is a way for them to make money now where it wasn't before. Because I think, whereas they may not make a lot of money selling albums, well, they certainly wouldn't have made anything in 96 either. But now, people will stream their music, they will find them, which is going to bring make them more likely to go see their show, which they're going to pay their hard-earned money to go watch a show on a Thursday night, and then fork down 25 bucks for a T-shirt. So I actually feel like the state of the music industry for those bands is better. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I agree with you. You can get your name out there, and I'm sure there's a lot of people we go see that we know of them strictly because, you know, it's access to their music, whereas, like, we were talking about um, White Snake earlier or Amon Amar. It doesn't really matter. You got to go... Back then, you had to go buy the album. And so, you know, like you said, especially, you know, when you're your formidable um, um, age for buying music when you're you're really getting into it, you know, you don't have 15, 20 bucks to, to waste. And so there'd be albums I'd buy initially I wouldn't like, but because I spent my hard-earned money or money my parents gave me, I would listen to them. And you could find three or four songs that were worth, you know, going. That That's my thing with it now is, you know, and I did get into vinyl. I mean, just I, I just think it's kind of a fun thing to do. And I kind of have a rule that I won't buy a vinyl album unless uh, 80%, of the, 80% of the songs I really like or it's from an artist that I'm pretty sure I can, you know, has a good track record with me. Um, I will say this for it has made me uh, a few albums because I don't get up to change the needle. Listen to some songs that... Um, that I normally probably would have skipped over and it's given me more of appreciation for it for that. But it's just that the music is thrown at you so much now. Uh, I think of, of bands that I really, really like, I'll have an album come out. I'll pull it up on Spotify the day it comes out. And within you listen to the first three or four songs, the first minute or so, if nothing grabs me, I go on and then I just kind of throw it by the wayside and never go back to it. So that's the part that frustrates me. And I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that myself, and I, I completely have the power to stop myself from doing it, but it's just so tempting. So, I share that. I share that frustration. I do. And I, I have given up on stuff very easily, and I find that, for me, if I don't buy the physical product, even now, I probably don't. A lot of times I don't listen to it as much. It's weird, but I still don't. But I still say that it kind of goes back to what just my whole argument. I just feel like the music industry right now, if you get past that, it's not what it was 20, 30 years ago. You just realize that the music you know, industry, is, it's not set up for, for artists to make money off recordings. I know it sucks for them, but it's not set up that way. So I guess my point is like, don't even, you don't even worry about how much you sell now. And you had to, I mean, you mentioned a band like LA guns. You know that missing piece. Had they not 
at least been able to put out a gold record, they would have been forgotten, faded away, and you would have never heard from them. And now they're, but so, but now I don't think records are so much of a measure anymore. And it's just, you, you don't even have to worry about it. I think that the industry and the industry, the way it's set up now, I think the current model is, it's just easier to discover bands. And I know so many bands, there's so many bands I love now that I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. That's true. I just wouldn't know it now, especially when we keep, people like I, you and I keep saying rock isn't dead, and it isn't. But if we didn't live in this day and age, would rock be dead? Yeah, kind of. Well, but I, one of the things I do like is they're able to find additional. This doesn't probably affect you because most of the bands you listen to aren't going to fall in this category. But like, um, there's this service called Nugs, N U G S, and I highly recommend it if you're into some of the kind of music I'm about to mention. So, bands like Government Mule, who never play the same set list twice, ever, uh, they put every show up on Nugs. And so, you can go and download the show and you can choose to do it. You know, MP3, uh, you know, FLAC, the uh, the AFLAC or whatever, the Apple version. All these different different varying qualities of download you can get. And, you can, you know, I do that. Every time I go to a government mule show, I download the show I went to. Metallica does it. They have their own nugs. And Metallica, every concert that you go to, they give you a free download code for that show, which is really cool. But you think about, like, government mule. They don't sell a ton of CDs. They make all their money on merchandise and, and playing. And they play to 2,000 to 2,500 people. You know, that's kind of where, where they are. But then, you know, it takes nothing for them to record these shows. Uh, the show is anywhere, from, depending on what kind of quality you want, anywhere from 12 to $20. Well, you got three, if you say you've played to 2,500 people, and a lot of people that go to see those kind of bands are archivists. They like to collect shows that they go to and everything. So that's an additional revenue stream. And even with Nugs, there's a, uh, uh, I just joined today for the, the monthly, uh, a monthly subscription where some of the bands like Widespread Panic, you can just pay the streaming fee like you do Spotify. And it's like every Widespread Panic show the last 10 years on there. So they, they do have some cool different ways of generating money from music sales that we didn't have back then that make things more accessible. And then, I know you don't collect vinyl or whatever, but a lot of uh, indie stores now, I don't know how they do it. They go, like, for instance, there's a Black Crows album called The Lost Crows, which is kind of like the holy grail to have on vinyl, long out of print. So this company in, I think, Massachusetts, I don't know how they do this, but they're doing a limited run of a 1,000 copies of it, uh, and it's sold out in just a matter of seconds. So there's other unique ways to get, you know, music, but um, you have to... um, really be tuned into that to find a lot of that but yeah it's just kind of frustrating that that i um have become so have such bad music add i mean i got nobody to blame but myself but it's kind of one of those things you can't put the toothpaste back in once it's out yeah i know what you're saying but and but i mean i guess i guess the cool thing is now we do and and again i know they're not going to make a ton of money when we do stream but if nothing else we're we're working all day and and we're not kids in school anymore, and we can just put on with these streamings, and we just put, I don't ever listen to anybody's playlist. I don't. I want to go and listen to a full album. And, you know, I've discovered a lot of stuff that way. And then you just think about social media. You know, it's been, it's been a huge asset. 
you know, for bands. It allows them to grow in ways that they, you know, allows them to grow when, you know, at radio, MTV, whatever. They, you know, they would have, they would have completely ignored a lot of these bands that I love. They would have never had a chance with them anyway. And you might not and have I, had a chance to even know. I mean, let's be honest. Like when you and I were growing up, let's, who's, who's somebody that was just really almost obscure on, on the periphery of the hair metal thing? Um, Spread Eagle or Love Hate or something like that. Yeah. You would have had, I mean, if you were a fan of them, especially, you know, not living in like LA or New York, you'd have to really search stuff out on them in like little blurbs and Metal Edge. And, yes. You know, and it would yes. just be blurbs. It's all it would be. Like, I remember hearing about Enough's Enough for a long time just in the magazines, but I had no way of, of, of getting any information on them. Finally, like, and like Taketo was the same thing. You always like little blurbs, like oh, they look kind of cool or whatever. And, but now those people, they have as much you have as much access to them as you do Metallica because of social media. If they were, if those guys were still bands, I don't know if they, I think Taketo is, but you know what I mean. You, you could, you know, you can interact with people, and it was easy once they found you. You could stay connected to them, and it wasn't in, in almost a passive way. You know, you could sign up for their newsletter or email list, or you know. Twitter mentions and stuff like that. So I think that's great. Well, and I, and I will, I'll say this too, like a band that I, that, you know, I love my, you know, my favorite newer band is death heaven. And 20, 30 years ago, they never would have gotten out of a garage. Yeah. Am I seeing death heaven play in Dallas? Like I did to about a 700 capacity venue packed. No, not a chance, not a chance. I just don't believe it. And that's why, and I think that all comes, so I don't know. There's good and bad. I just, but I, for the listener, there's good and bad. And for the artist, there's good and bad. But I believe for the, the, let's say, death heaven tier artist, I believe things are much better now. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. And anybody listening to us disagree with it, me, tell me I'm an idiot. You know, <laughs> I, I may be, but that's just, that's just my opinion. All, all right. right. So, um, Chris and I, if you listen to this podcast, Chris and I have known each other forever. And uh, we have a lot of uh, musical tastes that overlap. And then we have um, we have a, a lot that, that doesn't. And it wasn't until we started this podcast that I realized how much Chris really enjoyed punk music. Now, I've always known he's like Social Distortion. That's one of his favorite bands. And, I mean, I may be saying something sacrilegious here, but, I mean... After those first two or three albums, I don't really consider them a punk band. I just consider them a rock band. Um, but um, it wasn't until we started doing this that it that I knew there was all these punk bands, a lot of them hardcore punk bands that Chris really really liked because it kind of seemed to me I, I kind of never thought you would be that big of a punk guy just because of the music you're into. You know, when we were in college, you were really big into REM. You know, and of course you have that the the um, the hair metal fascination. And then, uh, now uncle Tupelo, now they were fans of punk, you know, and they had punk influence on things, but it wasn't to this podcast that I knew you were into all of these bands that you are. And so, um, you know, I've started a black crows podcast, kind of a little passion thing of mine. And, you know, Chris doesn't like to do like the album episodes. And so I'll have people on here that want to do albums. And so I wanted to start, giving Chris more of an outlet for, for these kind of things that, um, um, that, that, that he's really passionate about. So I texted him a couple of weeks ago and we just now have got been able to make it happen, but 
I was like, let's do a punk episode and you just talk about some of your favorite punk bands a little bit. And Chris gave me a list. It's a pretty long list, but the good thing is it's only like 40 minutes long because they're all punk songs. Uh, that uh, Actually, it's a lot longer than that because it's a lot of songs. So I'm going to put uh, that up on Twitter and Facebook. It's a punk uh, Spotify playlist. So Chris, I'm going to turn it over to you a little bit and just let you talk about some of your favorite punk bands and why you like them and maybe some uh, essential tracks for people to check out. Now, the essential tracks of each one of these bands that he that he gave me to listen to is inter- an introduction to them. Uh, like I said, I'm going to put that up, uh, that Spotify playlist up on Twitter and uh, Facebook probably a day or two after we release the episode. That way you can hear it and then you can go and uh, if you want to follow that, uh, follow that and maybe you'll get into it just like Chris has. And I've made a concerted effort the last year, year and a half to get into more punk stuff. And I'll talk about some things that I've heard that I liked and I'll talk about the things that I didn't like. So, Christopher, I'm turning it over to you. All right. Well, we're not, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about, as you said, social distortion and, because we've done a whole episode on them. I talk about them all the time. And I would agree with what you said. They're. Their albums, especially as of late, haven't really been punk. They've been rock, and now starting to blend in, you know, elements of of blue of Americana, really Americana rockabilly into them, and you know. But they're always going to be considered a punk band. And some of the bands I was just going to talk about, some of the ones that I like, I, I, a lot of mine are kind of going to go more to if if there was just a major major punk junkie on right here that was. All they listen to is the Germs and you know a lot of L.A. punk, like, you know, the Germs, the Dead Kennedys, and and the Descendants and Discharge and all that. I like a lot of that stuff, but those aren't necessarily my loves. You know, mine usually weren't as much as just a super fast, you know, minute twenty song with screaming vocals. Uh, not that the Dead Kennedys are that, but and I do like the Dead Kennedys, but I just wanted to focus on a few of the ones that, that I like. And so I guess I'll just start a little bit. I just kind of want to start with some of the bands that I like that kind of laid the foundation. I think that would be the best way. i just start out with some of them. Uh, the first one being a band before there was even the word punk. The punk word wasn't out, but I include them because I think their sound has even in that, the music that was... I'm talking about the, first. Of all, I'm talking about the Stooges, and I think a, I think about Funhouse, an album that was released in 1970. This is just such a brilliant, brilliant album. To me, I listen to it, and I still feel like I'm listening to a punk record. But the term punk hadn't been coined yet. The uh, breakout of all the New York bands out like in, playing in CBs that was probably that 73 to 76 time frame, uh, maybe 77. The New York or the uh, the London phase, that was probably 76, 77, coming in a little bit later. And we're talking about Funhouses in 1970. And I just focus on that one because that's the album that I love the most by them. And, you know, they it wasn't the first one. I believe the first one was in 68. But I believe they laid a foundation. I think bands built off of what they did. And, I mean, is anybody more punk rock than Iggy Pop? Um, you know, that... So if you just kind of, for me, if you want to kind of a roots of where it, of where it began, yeah, people are going to go Stooges, they're going to go NC5. They, they'll, they'll say Velvet Underground. 
And I know the Velvet Underground may have laid a foundation, but there's nothing really punk sounding about the Velvet Underground. Listen to the Stooges and you hear early punk for me. All right. So this is one of the bands that you gave me that I have listened to a little bit more of. Um, and I think I will continue to do that. Um, I was, you know, when it comes to the Stooges, I, I always like, and I told you I had this conversation with you. I always thought that the, there was the Stooges and there was Iggy in the Stooges, but you've told me that Iggy was in them the whole time. So I thought it was kind of like, yeah. kind of like Neil Young and Crazy Horse, where Crazy Horse would go off and do some stuff, and then Neil Young would come back with them. But um, the Funhouse album is the one that I kind of have listened to, and then you, you know you've given me several songs, and um, I thought this was really cool when I was doing some research um, on the album. Um, in 2000, the Black Crows and Oasis toured together, and both bands said it was the best tour they've ever done. And so at the end of the night, obviously the Crows closed in America. Uh, Noel Gallagher and Gil Archer would come on stage and play with them. They had about three songs in rotation. One of them was Lucifer Sam by Pink Floyd, and the other one was uh, Down on the Street by the Stooges. And... um uh, which the, the, you, you can go watch it on YouTube. It's pretty cool to see them play. Cause the Robinson brothers were big punk fans growing up, so I'm sure they they were into the Stooges. But yeah, the Stooges is is one that um that 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 I can say I like, and I'm not gonna turn away from, and probably listen to a little bit more. Oh, cool. Well, just staying on staying with the early days of punk. Uh, I mentioned the the early '70s movement. This this was around give or take, I think it was 74 or so. And I'm going to go to the New York Dolls. Um, New York Dolls were kind of, I think they were, it's it's weird because I think the New York Dolls were kind of like early innovators of punk and they were early innovators of hair metal because people S- like... Sleazy, Poison, sleazy punk. Yeah, and there's no, there's no doubt people like Poison with, you can say Alice Cooper... You can say kiss all you want. But when I think of people like Poison, even Motley Crue, and all that. Duff McKagan. Yeah, it's the dolls. I mean, that's what, and that, the look that they had, that's where, that's where it was coming from. Uh, I mean, these guys dressed like transvestites. I mean, just like how Poison did. And there wasn't any of this, put a little, you know, guideliner on. No, this was full fledged dressing like a woman. Um, it's ma'am. <laughs> it is ma'am. I, but I got to believe that was shocking, you know. Um, but they're one of those bands that so many. I mean, you talk about all the people that lo- love the Stooges and were influenced by them. So many of these bands, you know, love the New York, the, the New York Dolls as well, and. You know they've done they've done a lot. They if you don't know anything about the Stooges, these hurt. I'm sorry, the Dolls. But you've just seen you may have seen the one iconic album cover, which is self-titled, which has them all on the cover, and it's got the logo with the lipstick. It's a black and white cover except for the pink logo. They did do other material and and some really good stuff, and they got back together. You know in the how this was probably around 04, 05 when they started making music together again. And 
but that the stuff off those first two records is what I really like. You know, uh, songs like Trash, Personality Crisis, Looking for a Kiss, Babylon, Stranded in the Jungle. Um, I don't know. I love. Uh, I think that I just I, if people if you, if you don't know who the New York Dolls are, you may remember Buster Poindexter, Feeling Hot, Hot, Hot. That is David Johansson of the New York Dolls, the vocals. Um, I loved him as a singer. He he had that whole had that whole Mick Jagger look, and then Johnny Thunders was like the coolest junkie ever. <laughs> well, they if you if you take like all the music you and I listen to between you know the people you really like, people I really like, and then the people that we agree on. And you start ranking the bands. If you interviewed all those members of those bands, bands that influenced them, the New York Dolls are probably going to come in about number four or five. Um, like you said, bands like Kiss, bands like Aerosmith, The Clash, um, Velvet Underground, The Dolls are always going to um, to be in there. And uh, especially like, you know, Ricky Rocket of Poison. I mean, they just basic Poison just basically ripped their look off, you know? Yeah, they to, did. To a, lot of, to a lot of extent. So they're, they're one of the ones I was already familiar with. And uh, I don't like them as much as you, but it's, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel bad about listening to them. Um, um, I'll, you know, I'll, they come on the radio or Sirius or whatever. I'll listen to it. And like I said, I have the playlist with them on there. So yeah, um, they, uh, they, they they definitely um, are influential for sure. Well, and I'll just say, since I did I mention them as the early early stuff that I like, I just want to Johnny Thunders, the guitarist, had some brilliant solo work, and to me, so alone his debut album is one of the great great rock records ever, and that's what it is. It's a rock record, but still, he's always going to be thrown in as punk, and there are punk elements to it. Um, you know, people that may not know punk, they got, they bought, they grew up loving the hair bands and all, and they bought, you know, they bought Guns N' Roses' Spaghetti Incident, not knowing what any of those songs were. Well, if you are one of those people and you remember that from a kid, you can't put your arm around a memory. That is a, that's a Johnny Thunder song. But that, you know, Ask Me No Questions, Born to Lose, just, Great, great rock and roll. Subway Train? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all right. So of everybody you gave me to listen to, there's two that really shocked me how much I liked them, and Johnny Thunders is number one on that list. He's great. He's absolutely great, and he's one. that's another one that people just love. You know, I I, um, I remember when, when uh, Shannon and I saw them at, or saw, saw a Social Distortion at the Ryman, we had just been listening before the show. I was really, really into so long that album. And we were having a couple of beers in the hotel room before we left for the show and, um, get to the show and social distortions coming out. And what do they, what do they have playing? Johnny thunders. But that's what, that's what social distortion came out to. And, uh, and I know Ness is a big thunders fan. Which a lot of them are. A lot of a lot of those guys from both hair metal and punk just idolize Johnny Thunders. All right, who's the next one on your list? Well, 
I'm going to just stay in kind of with the old. I'll stay. Um, this is one of my, become one of my very favorite punk bands, period. And uh, it's another very old band. Stay in, a uh, band that's from Cleveland. But they moved into that when all that stuff was blowing up at CB's. And that's the Dead Boys. Um, there's something about them. You know, they've had this, those two records came out with Stiff Baders on vocals, but you can find a lot of other stuff, a lot of live stuff. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I loved, I loved the sound. I, I loved, I thought his voice was super, super cool. I loved the energy of that band. The songs were great. Um, another song that Guns N' Roses covered, Ain't It Fun. Mm-hmm. Dead Boys did a, a, I thought a brilliant cover of the Rolling Stones, Tell Me. Sonic Reducer is probably one of the more, one of the bigger punk songs from that era. That is, yeah. I mean, if you that, go that, see uh, Pearl Jam, they've been known to close with that. Overkill covered it on, I think, on their first record. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a big one. Not anymore. It's a great one. All this and more. And I was, you know, it's funny about three, four months ago, probably, maybe even longer than that, the, um, I knew that the Dead Boys were, that Cheetah Chrome, the guitarist, and, um, uh, yeah, what's his name, uh, Blitz, Johnny Blitz, I believe, the drummer, I, I knew that they were had put together a lineup, and that they were, that they had re-recorded, they had re-recorded an album of the Dead Boys, and, that they were playing some shows, but I, I don't know. I didn't, I thought that was probably a bit ridiculous and probably wasn't going to interest me, but I saw the show. It was a Saturday, it was on a Saturday night. And at the last minute, I thought, ah, screw it. I'll go check it out. Man, that was one of the cooler small club shows I've seen in a while. I just thought that the guy that they were, that is, you know, up there in place of Stiv. He uh, he sounds a lot like him, and he's just a great, great front man. And, you know, we're never going to get Stiv Baders again, so that was pretty cool. And, yeah, I just, if you get a chance to see the Dead Boys, don't don't blow them off just because you're saying, oh, it's not Stiv. Well, you can't have Stiv. Stiv's not here. Go see the Dead Boys. They're still, they still sound amazing. Um, I know they have a song on our intro, but other than Ain't It Fun, that they just don't really do much for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I get it. But, um, you know, then when we stay in this kind of era, too, in that New York stuff, the, the bands that I in that time frame, I do like a lot of that Ramon stuff. I do love, I, I love television, but television to me is kind of in the way that the Velvet Vault Revolver is not really punk. Velvet Underground. Velvet, Velvet, Velvet Revolver is not punk. And I don't even like Velvet Revolver. And I always end up saying that. Ah, damn Slash. Going ahead and naming a band too, you know, with Velvet in it. But um, but anyway, I uh, I love television, but I just it's hard for me to ever look at them and as true punk. But um, I did just want to go ahead and mention that that those still television Ramones and all. It's, you know, going across to the uh, to the other side of the pond, kind of in that that era. One that I really liked. I know everybody. It was the Clash was the big one, the Sex Pistols, which 
really, really like that. I mean, I, I know sometimes people may think that, oh, you're maybe you're a poser. You just want to like this or it's blown up or it's overrated or whatever. Nah, never mind the Bullocks is a great, great punk record by the Sex Pistols. And if you've never listened to it, I would highly recommend it. If you just want to hear that late 70s, early UK punk, that's a brilliant record. But the, another band that I just love was Generation X with Billy Idol on vocals. Uh, Tommy James on guitar, who went on to form uh, Six Six Sputnik. I know most people right now don't know who Six Six Sputnik is, but that the song that's, that's played at the beginning of... of um, or at least when he's in, when Ferris Bueller is in bed, weird sounding song, electronic song. Mm-hmm. That's Six Six Sputnik, and he was the guitarist of um, of Generation X. But Generation X was Billy Idol, and it was it still sounds like Billy Idol, but it's Billy Idol in a more punk version. You know, I would say, think Dancing with Myself, which is actually a Generation song. But think that, but a little bit more punked up, and that's what you have. You know, uh, your generation, Ready, Steady, Go, Kiss Me Deadly, the original version of Dancing with Myself. It's a little bit more punky, but I thought that was a uh, that's a really cool UK band. Had you ever listened to them before? I had heard. Have you ever heard I had it? heard. Um, you know, Dancing with Myself. I'd heard that. I mean, I knew who they were, but other than that, that's all I knew. I always got them confused with the band X as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of people do. A lot of people do that. Um, you know, I, and then I, well, I just stay in the UK, a band that that I like a lot, which is this is going to be kind of a since a lot of the bands I'm naming people people do know they at least know the name. I want to mention one that a lot of people are not going to know the name, and. Up until a few years ago, I'm right there with you. And that's a band out of out of uh, UK called Coxbar. And the way this happened is Buddy Shannon and I were at Riot Festival, which is started kind of as a punk festival, but it's kind of evolved and there's they have all kinds of genres there. But I got into this conversation. We were in the we had the we paid extra for the VIP section, so we're sitting down. And I'm talking to this old school punk guy. And I don't know how we even got into the conversation. We're talking all different kinds of punk. And, and we started talking oi punk. And and he was talking about, yeah, you know, Cox Bar, you know, I know they're about to come on. And was, they were coming on probably in about 30 minutes to an hour. And I really didn't know anything about him. I was like, oi punk, I'm, I'm going to go check that out. And one of my favorite, if not my favorite, performance of Riot Fest, because it was such a surprise of how much I liked it, these guys looked like they were, at the time anyway, all probably like late fifties, and they all were chub- just almost all of them were chubby bald guys, and they just killed. And so I started listening to about Shock Troops, which is to me one of the greatest punk records ever. Yeah, I will actually say that I really think it's one of the greatest punk records punk rock records of all time. And if you don't know what Oi Punk is, just listen to that record, and it'll, that, that is the definition. As in, if you want to say what is, what is hair metal, you know, somebody will say, like, 
Poison or Motley Crue or whatever. And they're way punk put on Cox Bar. And I, and I know it's a crazy name and I had looked it up before and it says that their name, it derives from, it, it's a, it derives from the original name, which they said was Cox Sparrow, which is a Cockney term for familiarity. So I don't know if it's just was because they started out as Cox Sparrow, just because of that Cockney accent. It always sounded like they were saying Cox Bar. That's what I think it probably means, but I don't know that. But anyway, it's, it's a, it's an odd name, I'll, to, to say the least. But there's so many great songs on, so many great songs on Shock Troops. I would just say check that album out. But at least let's listen to the first five or six. And I was honestly, when I listened to this stuff, given what their name was, I thought it's just going to be a mess. But I was surprised at honestly how well produced it was. Yeah, it's old. That's an old, old album. You got to admit, it may not be for you. But you got to admit, it's it's pretty catchy. That's what I was about to say. All, I if anybody's listening to this, they're going to kill me for saying this. It to me, it kind of almost had like a Blink One Eighty Two poppiness to it. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't say. I mean, I, I, okay, I can, I can. What I mean I, is like the pop part. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying, and but this is another one that is just a hugely influential band. It's one of those bands where we talked about before, highly influential, but never sold any records. These guys could actually be, they could fall into that category. There have been so many bands, too, that have covered their songs. And there's I've seen Dropkick Murphys cover, cover uh, Take Em All. I've seen Agnostic Front cover Take Em All. They're just one of those bands that people just love. And, and I get it. Um, for this, since I did just kind of all talk about the old, one more kind of old, and then I'll just start talking about a few of the new ones, and then we'll wrap up. But talked about I do want to finally catch a Misfits show, and the Misfits are one of those bands that if you've never listened to them, you might be skeptical just because they can. Well, all these kids go get the T-shirt at Hot Topic. It's just some trend. It's really great punk rock music, and. I'm one of the ones I fall into. I fall into that category. I, I'm one of the ones that love both the Glenn Danzig version, the original version, and then when they reformed in '95 and had Michael Gray's on on vocals. Uh, we were fortunate enough to interview Michael Gray's for our podcast about a year ago. Uh, if you just started listening to us, check that out. That's definitely probably one of our cooler podcasts that we've done. But the Glenn era was definitely more raw it was very very poor production and i know that's a lot of what turns david off with these type punk records and misfits was very bad production but then michael graves it got the production was better it got a little heavier um but also a little bit more melody as well yeah so i was about to say um of all the the misfit songs you gave me it's the grave stuff I like the best. Now I do like that. Uh, oh, Metallica plays it. Last Caress. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty good. And they sing Attitude, right? That Guns N' Roses used to do with uh, yeah. Duff, right? Yeah. So yeah, well, we've already covered three uh, just on my list. Three different, three different bands that the Guns covered. Yeah. So uh, um, the grave stuff, especially, um, it, to me, 
when I listen to it, I don't really think hardcore punk or even for even kind of the godfathers of punk, like a lot of people think they are. I just think it's kind of more, kind of like some of the latter day social distortion. Yeah, but you know, if you want to listen to like the real Glenn Danzig punk, you've never Glenn Danzig Misfits, you've never really given them a chance. Try out what David mentioned, Last Caress. Listen to Hybrid Moments, Skulls. Those are, Skulls is probably one of their most, I would say that's that's kind of a definitive misfit song. So that would be a good one to, to start with. You know, and then as, I, as, as so that's just kind of my origins, I guess, where I really, the, the early stuff, the stuff that I, that I love, um, obviously I wasn't listening to it back then. But as time Time has progressed. Some of my stuff has been a little bit more on the poppy side and not quite hardcore. You know, I didn't put this on the list, David, because you've already you know all about them. Uh, you did your kind of experience in Deja Vu with uh, The Cure, where you were late to the party and you're starting to love them. You did this not too long ago with the Gaslight Anthem as well. And that's a band that, yeah, it's not your typical punk, but it's rooted in punk. And the first record, I would say, is punk. Uh, it's just not ex- it's not extreme. It's more the, the Clash meets Springsteen. But even the Clash wasn't like super, super, always super punk sounding. But Gaslight Anthem is a band that I truly love. And then going a little bit more of the kind of a poppy type sound, I would say is Alkaline Trio. But they, I, I think of Alkaline Trio as being one of those bands that they they do a great job of incorporating punk and having almost like uplifting sing-alongs with some of the like darkest, just crazy lyrics like the Misfits. I mean, you can tell when you listen to them that the influences, you can hear the influences of the Misfits and the Cure when you listen to them. But, it's a band I've listened to now for nearly 20 years. I love these guys. I buy their albums religiously. And, you know, picking a few songs when I was telling David the ones to listen to, I mean, picking five of your, your favorite ones, and that, that's almost impossible. But, but I told him, Radio, This Could Be Love, Hell Yes, Queen of Pain, Clavicle. I tried to mention new, mix in new and old. But, I just I love these guys. I love anything that Matt Skiba touches. He's done great solo work. Matt Skiba, Matt Skiba and the Secrets. He did a um, kind of a Joy Division Cure type album side project called Heavens. That's just absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, now he's playing in Blink One Two, which I'm not a fan of. That it's um, it's just not that good. But anyway, Alkaline Trio. I I love this band. I mean they're they're up there with like a social distortion for me as far as my punk love. Well, and their music is more accessible than some of the other people that you've mentioned for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, you know, and a lot of this newer stuff that I, that I listen to, like a Gaslight Anthem, it does fall into that. And that's why I say just because, just because you hear me say punk, I mean, don't expect that you're going to hear it's going to be something that sounds like minor threat. It's not. You know, it's minor threat. It's really hardcore anyway. But another band that's been going since about the time of Alkaline Trio is Hot Water Music, which they have a new EP coming out either this month or next. 
but this is a band that I I didn't really get into until I discovered until I saw Chuck Reagan open for Social Distortion at the Ryman, and when he opened for them, I just fell in love with his music instantly, and bought the Chuck Reagan records, bought everything that Hot Water Music has put out. This is a band that has two vocalists, Chuck Reagan, Chris Wallard, and this is a great, great band. It's not just that I like the music. A lot of times people think that punk is not necessarily the greatest musicianship. To me, this may be the greatest rhythm section of a punk band, just for me. I think, but the the bassist and the drummer, I believe they're both. I think they, I believe they're both jazz trained musicians, and you hear it. I mean, it's, usually you hear punk and you just hear the bass just falling along, you know, just simple, simple notes. This guy put on hot water music and just listen to him go. Insanely good bassist, great drummer. Love Chuck Reagan. Love Chris Waller, and there are if you listen to them, they. Some of their old stuff, it's, I guess in some ways there's, it's, it's punk, but in some ways there's, it, it's kind of getting kind of close to hardcore because there's a lot of, a little bit more screaming, gets a little bit more heavy, but again, a band that I just can't say enough good things about, you know, songs that I know David will put up that I mentioned, uh, things on a dashboard, position, um, Southeast First, Wayfair, Turnstile. David, I know you've listened to them before just because you know how much, like Alkaline Trio, how much I love them, so you've listened to them before in the past. Yeah, Chuck Reagan's voice isn't the most accessible um, of any of them, but um, I agree with you that at least the latter stuff, it's not, it's not, you know, like you said, a minor threat or the germs or anything like that. Um, I don't dislike him. Uh, his voice sometimes, though, I just it, it kind of it's kind of like Jay Farrar. Sometimes I just got to have a break from it. I was about. It's funny you say that. I was about to say he's kind of like the punk Jay Farrar. Yeah. You know, if Jay if Jay Farrar were doing punk slash hardcore songs, he might sound something like this. You know. Right. He's and Chuck Reagan just has a really gravelly voice, but he can sing. That's the thing. He sings in key. It's just gravelly. Right. You know, it's not, that's the thing. Sometimes you hear these guys, you think just because they don't sound like Roy Orbison, they can't sing. He can carry a tune. It's just, it's a gravel, it's a gravelly sound. Uh, last, last couple I'll talk about these bands that I, that I do like a lot. Um, another classic, classic punk band that kind of was from the nineties generation that's you know, maybe people are going to think of them as like a Blink-182 or or a Green Day. And I guess in some ways they are, but I guess much more respected as a whole. But that's uh, that's no effects. And I've gotten a lot more into them in the last few years. But I think, I think in the way that Johnny Rotten has a stereotypical punk voice, I think that uh, Johnny Rotten, I think it's like... Like true like punk voice. So they Johnny Rotten, I think of uh, Jello Biafra of the Dead Kennedys, and it's hard not to, to think of Matt of a uh, Fat Mike being so unique and just such a punk sounding voice. And songs I told you, Linoleum, The Bruise, Perfect Government, Bob, 
David, I don't even have to ask you if you like this. I know you didn't. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to ask that question. What was it Liam Gallagher says? <laughs> I don't have to, what, I don't have to listen to it to know I don't like it. But I, I did listen to it, but no, it's not my cup of tea. I know, because because of the stuff that I'm naming, it's it's more of a true, like, what you think of it. When you think of punk, in your head, it probably sounds more like this than it does the Stooges. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and then one, too, that, I, that, which I will say, I do believe they get a ton of respect. But I think people may not expect a band like the Dropkick Murphys to be because they've gained so much popularity since, since being on, you know, shipping up to Boston was on The Departed. Well, yeah. So I, I think maybe they don't get the, people don't expect them to be so so respected like they are, but they are because they're just a great great punk band. And forget about oh well, there's it's just the Irish gimmick, whatever. You know, they're not putting throwing bagpipes and. Irish instrumentation into most of their songs. They're just a really great punk band. Uh, but if you want the stereotypical Irish sound mixed in, listen to Kiss Me, I'm Shit-Faced. Uh, Blood and Whiskey's a great one. Going Out in Style, The Warrior's Code, Sun, Sunshine Highway. I love I love these songs. There, this was the second band that surprised me um, with how much I liked them behind Johnny Thunders. Doesn't surprise me. You know, I took an ex-girlfriend to this show to see them when they were doing their 20th anniversary tour, and all she knew is she was going to a punk show. So kind of going back to Gallagher again, she didn't have to go to know she was going to hate it. But she loved it. Right. Absolutely loved it, and I and wanted a uh, Dropkick Murphys t-shirt after the show. That's cool. Uh, they're a fun, fun, fun band to see live, and... They are, they're just, they're a great, they're a great punk band. And, and I know for anybody listening, like I said, some, I'm sure my early picks probably get respect. So some of the later ones, you're like, oh, this ain't so much punk, but it's what I like, but I assure you, don't worry. I listen to the Descendants. I listen to the Dead Kennedys. I listen to Pennywise and Bad Religion and all that stuff too. But these are the bands that are up there higher for me. And like we said, it's all preference. It's whatever you're into. Well, that's a pretty exhaustive list. Yeah, I like I, I like how, I like how you did it chronologically. I like that. Wasn't even planning to. I just started looking at it. I was like, well, might as well, might as well do it this way. It makes a little bit more sense. But you know, I would just say if you're gonna if you're gonna start with the start with the history, you're trying to work, you know, get into a little bit of it. Again, try try the Stooges. New York Dolls, Dead Boys, you know the Ramones, but give them a chance. Listen to the guys across the pond, you know, with the Clash, the Sex Pistols, the Generation X. Listen to Cox Bar. Um, if you like the Cox, if you like Cox Bar, I was about to say if you like the Cox Bar, <laughs> you like the Cox. Um, <laughs> check out a band called Blitz too. It's a that's a great that's a great boy band. They have. When you know David, even when you and I did our favorite songs, like our favorite songs ever, mm-hmm. I listed a song by Blitz, "New Age." That's one of my favorite songs ever. But it's a, it's another great, you know, way punk song. But there's so much out there. There's so there's so many great bands out there to try. Just 
give it a chance. You might find you like it. And you can always stream them and get easy access to see if you want to go buy the album. If you like it, I encourage you to go buy it. Chris, this was fun. I really did. I had a, had a good time doing this. Uh, we'll try to do more of these kind of things in the future uh, with some of the music that, that you like more passionate about than me. Um, we'll try to do more of these. I, I've, I've enjoyed I enjoyed listening. I, mean, I didn't enjoy all the songs, obviously, and all the bands, but there was enough in there where I, I can at least find several to go back and listen to. So uh, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, that's going to be it, everybody. Um, follow us on Twitter at Digital Killed and like us on Facebook and uh, follow us on Instagram at Digital Killed, the Radio Star Podcast. Chris and I will be back much sooner rather than later. Apologize for the big gap in between uh, podcasts, but uh, until next time, take care.